Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. My name is Tim Barton, and I am one of the pastors here at the Vine. As we get started this morning, I want to ask you a question. And that question is... What is the worst excuse you've ever made in your life? Some of us have plenty to choose from, right? What's the worst excuse you've ever made in your life? Well, I don't know if it was the worst excuse I've ever made, but I can tell you a really bad one. When I was, I think I was 16, maybe 17, my wife will probably correct me on this, um, I, went, I was going to go um, pick up my wife who lived about, who, she wasn't my wife then, uh, pick up uh, Carrie Ann who lived about 20 minutes away and we were going to come back and meet closer to my parents' house and meet them for dinner. And my father said, well, you can drive my truck because his truck had air conditioning, air conditioning and the only time I got to drive it, mine didn't, um, the only time I got to drive his truck was if Carrie Ann was involved. Um, I was like, well, you can go pick Carrie Ann, you can use that truck and go get Carrie Ann. So... I go get Carrie Ann and we're coming back. Well, at that time, her parents uh, were in the process of buying a house and they had been looking at houses kind of all over. And as we're driving back, um, we're driving down the road and she's telling me about different houses and she goes, oh, and, and actually there's, um, that, that one of the houses is right there in that neighborhood and you could kind of see the backyard from the road. Um, but, but by the time she tells me this, we're driving along. I, I did what I should never do. Now that I have a kid almost getting his license, I'm even more aware of this, right? But I'm driving. I looked back. It wasn't for long. I just kind of glanced. But as I turned back around, there's a traffic light kind of around the corner, and all the cars were backed up. Well, it was green, but they weren't going. And so I hit the brakes, and I at least was smart enough to know I didn't want to run into the back of those cars, nor did I want to run into the cars that were coming in a direction the other way, the, the line of cars coming from the other direction. And so I chose to go to the right. Well, to the right, there was a mailbox. And in front of that mailbox, there was not a rock. There was a boulder. And I hit the front, thankfully the front right of the car, bent up my dad's truck. And I was like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? After I talked to the owner and told him I'd come back, it also broke the mailbox, by the way. But um, after I told him I'd come back, fix the mailbox, we went on to dinner. Thankfully, the, car, the truck would still drive. We'd go on to dinner. That was before I had a cell phone. I think it was before most people had cell phones. Um, and so it's taken a while. We get to dinner, and my dad's like, where were you? Because we just walk in, they're inside waiting on us. Where were you? Uh, can you walk outside with me for a minute? So we walk out, comes up, he looks at the truck. He said, what happened? Well, um, I, you know, the, as I was coming, I, 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 the light was green and they, the cars weren't moving. Okay, son, what, but, but what happened? Well, I, um, I just, I, yeah, I, and I turned, well, I kind of looked backwards. And he's like, son, I wish you'd have just left it at the first one. <laughs> it wasn't a very good excuse, right? It's a long way to say we make a lot of kind of, dumb excuses in our life, things that don't really make sense. And, and like I said, that's probably not the worst excuse I've ever made. We've been, we're in a series in Romans, 
Um, And over the past few weeks, we've seen um, in Romans chapter 2 that people make a lot of excuses. And Paul has been going through this hypothetical argument that, that said if the religious person, the person with the law, the irreligious person, the person without the law, if, if they could perfectly obey, then they could, be, um, they, they could be right with God. If they could perfectly obey, things would, they could be saved. And so Paul's going through this hypothetical argument But what he does as he goes through that, he says, there's no partiality. If you could obey, you'd be saved. But as he's going through this argument, what he's shown is his his main point in this whole thing is that no one can can obey, no one can do that perfectly. And so Paul has shown in verses 1 through 11 that people try to make excuses as, as we realize we can't do that perfectly. And so just to remind you, he's shown that the religious person tries to make themselves look better by condemning others, by comparing themselves to others. And we'll see next week that they even try to make themselves look better by the works they do. But Paul continues to show those excuses don't help. The irreligious person, he's shown us in these last few verses, the irreligious person tries to suggest that because they don't care what God thinks, that because they don't care what the law says, then the need to follow God's law and the warning that comes if you don't follow God's law doesn't really apply to them, and that's kind of their excuse. Paul says that excuse doesn't help either. We saw in verse 12 last week that John showed us all who sin, whether they know the law or whether they don't know the law, all who sin will perish. There is no excuse that we can come up with that will help us stand before God. There is no excuse we can come up with. And Paul's underlying point in all of this continues to point us to the fact again and again and again that this is why we need to run to Jesus. And so we come to our passage this morning, and I want you to keep this phrase in mind in our approach to God as we come to read the passage. Excuses will never help, but Jesus helps more than we think. We'll we'll come back to that in just a few minutes. So our passage this morning is from Romans chapter 2. We'll read verses 11 through 16. And I remind you, that this is God's word. Just just to say, we're going to focus on 14 through 16 today, but I want to read 11 through 16 just to reset the context for you. God's word says, For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. 
So I come back to the phrase. Excuses will never help, but Jesus helps more than we think. And in that phrase, you have our two points for this morning. The first one, excuses will never help. And so I already talked to you about the excuses Paul's been dealing with, the excuses of the religious and the irreligious. Today we're going to see that Paul extends the argument. And he extends the argument to deal with one more excuse that people often make. The excuse is being addressed in verses 14 through 15, and it seems to be clarifying how all-encompassing this truth is, how, all, how far-reaching the perishing due to sin is, how serious it is. Sin is so serious it even affects those who have never heard the law. And so it's as if Paul's asking, do you want to know the extent of what I'm talking about here? Do you really want to get down to the biblical conclusion? Well, here it is. Even those people who have never heard the law, even they, due to their sin, will perish apart from Jesus. That's what he's saying. Look at verse 14 and 15. I'll read it again. For when Gentiles who do not have the law, by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. The excuse that Paul's addressing here is the one we, we often either hear people make, right? Or, or we might even want to think is, is the thing we should make for others sometimes. And it's the excuse, but I didn't know. Or, but, but they didn't know. This is the excuse Paul's dealing with here. But then I believe in verses 14 and 15, Paul gives three reasons that they did know. Three reasons that all people know. And these are the, here's those three reasons. The first one, is human nature. All right, Paul says there of verse 14, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves. The nature being referred to here is human nature. It comes from being created in the image of God. As a result, because we're created in the image of God, as a result, we want things to be right to be just. Does that resonate? We want things to be right and just. The standard of what's right and just may be different for everybody in, in a lot of ways, but we want things to be right and just. There's a sense in all of us that something is the right thing, that there is some standard for each person, even if there's an argument against what that standard is. And so even in the unbeliever, those who are not followers of Jesus, regardless of what they say, regardless of how they act, there is a simple proof through the unbeliever that the moral law exists in them, in their human nature. Let me share what that proof is. We see this proof when someone who does not know God, does not know the truth of God, at least not as they've read it in a Bible, it's when they say in any way, shape, or form that they have been misunderstood 
or mistreated. That is proof that the moral law exists in them. Why do I say that? I say that because when all of a sudden they say, that's not fair, they are by definition saying, when they say that's not fair, when we say that's not fair, we are by definition saying, then there's some standard, there is something that is fair, something that is right. The idea that this, that of unfair treatment demonstrates a need. It demonstrates a longing for, a desire for treatment that is fair. It indicates a belief that there should be some standard that others should, should follow, even if they believe that standard is whatever's right to them. And so where does that come from? I've said it already, but I'm going to repeat it. Where does that come from? Paul says it comes from our human nature. Where does that come from? It comes from being made in the image of God. And so a child, most of you have experienced this, a child who cries out that they should receive the same gift as a sibling, an adult who cries out, who is angry, because they didn't get, receive the promotion that they deserved or that they thought they were better than the person who received it or a teenager not getting to do what their friends who were the same age do. All of those things, and, and there's many more, and y'all could fill in all the gaps. Right? There's many more that we express in this way. All those things that make mankind cry out, that's not fair. The sentiment of fairness itself is evidence of the law of human nature being written on our hearts. Second reason all people know is our conscience. Verse 15 says, They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness. Paul says that, uh, Paul says, By human nature, people long for fairness and things to be right. That's what we've just said. Everyone has some standard. So as a result, sometimes, even not intending to, even people that are not followers of Jesus do what the law of Jesus requires, showing that it's written on their hearts. And they have a conscience that tells us, they, we have a conscience that tells us what we ought to, what we should, that we need to follow the standard we believe in. So your standard here this morning, you may be hearing your standards different than what we believe God's standard is in his word. But your conscience says whatever your standard is, you should follow it. The conscience itself is an evidence that all people know. The third reason all people know, um, Paul is drawing out here, I think, are, is uh, our thoughts. Okay, verse 15, the second half of verse 15 and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. The simple fact that people have their own thoughts that accuse. Have your thoughts ever accused you? You're wrong. Um, you violated some code. You don't deserve what you have in life. You go on and on. Right? The simple fact that our thoughts accuse or 
The simple fact that our thoughts excuse, which, you know, again, excuse being, well, you're better than that person, or you don't need to worry about that area because everyone else is doing it, or, well, you didn't know, you know, all those, all those excuses. Those two things together, the thoughts of, accusion, of, of accusation and the thoughts of excuse, are evidence that people really do know. Now, I'll just pause for a minute to tell you a simple story to try to help make this clear. People really do know. I've told this story about five years ago, so some of you will remember it, but I think it's worth telling again in this context. So when I was roughly five or six years old, we kind of lived out in the country. And so as a rare treat, as I walked into the kitchen, I looked on the counter and there was a box of warm Krispy Kreme donuts. Box of 12 of them sitting on the counter. I don't know how much they cost them, but not as much as today, right? <laughs> and I saw that box sitting on the counter. My mom was out cutting grass so I went outside and I asked her, may I, may I have a donut? She said, yes, you can. So I came back inside and I took that donut and I ate it and I enjoyed it so much. So far, so good. But you know there were 11 more donuts in that box. <laughs> and so I went over to that box and I kind of looked at it. This is one of my most vivid memories as a child. So I look at that box. Hmm. I thought, you know, I think I want more donuts. And so I picked up that box and I got a blanket and I covered up that box. And then I took that box outside. And like I said, we lived in the country. We had a carport that was separate from our house. And while my mom's back was turned going the other way mowing, I went over to the carport, I walked around to the front of the car, and I crouched down and I hid, and I ate 11 more donuts. <laughs> My parents will tell you this story is true. <laughs> now, why did a five or six-year-old little boy who asked his mom if he could have a donut. His mom said, yes. Why did that five or six year old little boy feel the need to cover up the donuts? Feel the need to make sure his mom was going in the other direction on the lawnmower with her back turned as he went outside. Feel the need to go around to the front of the car and crouch down and hide as he ate those 11 donuts. It's because we all know. We all know. Everyone then will perish apart from Jesus, even those that have seemingly never heard. It may not seem fair to us, we may not like it, but this is because we often forget what the whole Bible teaches us. You see, we need to remember that none of us, 
bring anything to our standing before God. None of us. Ephesians 2, 12, in one place where this is said in Scripture, says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, having no hope and without God in the world. Our excuses will never help. But our second point is, is that Jesus helps more than we think he does. Look at verse 16. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So we're going to come back to the first half of that in a minute, but I I want to focus in on this for a moment. Jesus helps more than we think he does, and and we, we know that because what this passage shows us is that God sees everything. God sees everything. And there's a lot of scriptures that show us this. It's the testimony of, the, of scripture as a whole. Um, but I'm going to draw out a couple, couple passages for you. Uh, you can write them down and, and look them up later. They'll be on the screen as well. But Psalm 139, verses 1 through 4. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it. Another passage in Hebrews 4.13 says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Psalm 130, verse 3, after after the psalmist David has been talking about about sin and about all these things that he's he's seeing and knowing, and he's crying out to God, he, he says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? And then we see in Revelation chapter 6, verses 15 through 17, this is after, this is John has received this revelation from God talking about the day of judgment, talking about the end. And he says this, Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us. And hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? It doesn't matter whether we are kings of the earth, whether we're generals, whether we're rich and powerful, whether we're slaves or free. God sees everything. And the second, another part of this verse says, the end of it, Jesus judges everything. Jesus judges everything. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. On that day. What is that day? We don't know. If anybody tells you they do know, they're not reading the Bible. Because the Bible very clearly says in Matthew 24, 36, no one knows the day or hour. Okay? Okay? I want to make that super clear. We do know there is a day, 
Acts 17, 30 through 31 says that he will judge the world. He has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, meaning Jesus. But that truth, that God sees everything, that Jesus judges everything, is both terrifying, but I also think it's full of hope. I'll explain why in a moment. It's terrifying because the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, sees everything and will judge everything. There is nothing that we can hide from him. But it's also full of hope. It's full of hope because everything we think is a secret before God is already known. You see, we... We can keep a secret on earth, right? Well, some of us can't, but uh, we can keep a secret on earth. We can keep a secret from one another at church. We can keep a secret from our kids. Kids, you can keep secrets from parents. Parents, you can keep it from your spouse. You can keep it from other family and friends or from your boss, but you cannot keep a secret from God. He sees everything, and through Jesus, he will judge Everything. And again, in general, because we're born following human nature and what seems right to us, it's terrifying to think that there is a God of absolute truth who sees everything and judges. And there's no way around that being difficult. There's no way around that being terrifying if we're coming in our own strength, if we're trying to make excuses. We can't get away from that. But let's not forget the rest of the story, and I am so glad there's more story. (laughs) Because the rest of the story is this. For those who acknowledge their sin, who acknowledge that they need Jesus to take the penalty of their sin, who acknowledge that Jesus is the only one who can because he is both God and fully man, for those who come to him in faith, that he has taken that sin upon himself, For those people, and I pray that's for most of us here, then the fact that God sees everything is actually full of hope. It's full of hope. Because that means, just think with me a minute, that means he's already seen everything. Nothing escapes him the things that you would be crazy embarrassed for everybody here to know this morning. He already sees it. And not only does he see it, Jesus has taken the judgment for that too. Let that sink in a minute. Jesus has taken the judgment for that as well. Because Jesus receives judgment for everything, for all of our sins, for the sins of all who come in faith to him. This is why we can say that Jesus helps more than we think. Because there is not a person in this room, there's not a person in this room that fully understands how capable our hearts are of sin. You know how I know? Because we've not yet been face-to-face 
with Jesus. He's revealing it to us. He's showing it to us. He's growing us in that. But we do not fully know. And so Jesus helps us more than we even think he does. And as we grow in in the grace of God, seeing our sin more and more, as we grow in our understanding of our dependence upon God, we will see that we've actually not even come close to fully understanding how much he's done. And that is extremely important for us as followers of Jesus. Because it's precisely as we grow to understand how much Jesus has done that we are being grown more and more to understand our dependence upon him for salvation, how dependent we are on his power and his presence to live lives of obedience to him. It says all that's at work that we find freedom and strength to fight sin, not having to pretend we don't wrestle with it. Are y'all exhausted from pretending like sin's not in your life? Some of you are exhausted from looking around thinking other people don't have sin in their lives. Every one of us here does. And we don't have to pretend Because God sees everything. And Jesus helps us even more than we think. We can quit trying to fight the sin in our own strength. We can ask him to strengthen us, to help us fight it. We can ask others to be around us, walking with us in that. Because we're no longer pretending that it doesn't exist. And here's here's the beautiful thing that happens in all of that. And y'all, this isn't going to be a poof, and today we've got it. This is lifelong. This is something he calls us to work in. It's called sanctification. If we as fellow Christians, though, learn to do this together, if we commit to continuing to learn to do this together, Understanding that God's judgment has been placed on Jesus, it should should enable us to be free to walk together as broken and struggling people rather than people who are constantly trying to portray what we want want everyone else to see us as. We need this. This church needs this. Y'all, this is also the greatest testimony to the world around us. When broken and struggling people can walk together looking to Jesus. In just a moment, we're going to come to the Lord's table. But I'm going to ask Vivano to put the, the passage from Psalm 139 back up on the screen for a moment. And as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's table, I want you to look at this and think about the depth of how much God knows you, of how much God sees. And then I want, to add, I want you to ask him to reveal to you any of those places that, that you think that you're acting like they're a secret from him. And confess those, repent of those. And then after a few moments, we'll come to the Lord's table together.
I would ask as we prepare to do so that our elders would go ahead and come forward. Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at thevinecc. Have a great week.